Easter, everybody. Isn't it awesome to be with friends and family? I think we should have Easter every Sunday, right? 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 No? Nobody? Okay. Okay. I'm just so happy to be here with each of y'all. Welcome home. This is a home. If you don't have a home or if you don't like your home, this is, this is your home. You can adopt us as your family. And I really uh, appreciate everybody that is here, especially our volunteers. We have volunteers that are working tirelessly. Um, so let's just give our volunteers a big round of applause. Thank you, everybody who is serving and volunteering this morning. First Easter service at Kingdom. It's crazy. Uh, I know we have some first-time guests. And so I just kind of want to go through our history, kind of how we got here. So we planted about eight months ago, eight and a half months ago, at the beginning of August at the Elegance Hotel. And it was a whirlwind. This past year was one of uh, probably the most challenging years of my life and uh, my family's life and our family. But I, I believe that the Lord is up to something. And we're here to celebrate what he's doing. Um, so our church name, I just want to give some background about our history. So the church name is called Kingdom Church. And as the Lord was speaking uh, to me about starting a church in July, I thought, what does this church have to look like? What do, you, what do you want it to look like, God? And God just began to speak to me about Jesus, how he, when he came here to earth, he didn't do what he wanted to do. He didn't, you know, God, Jesus is God. And so he didn't have to come to earth, but the reason he came was to serve people. And he said, hey, if somebody steals from you, go ahead and give them your, if they're asking, if they're trying to steal your shirt, give them your, give them your jacket. Those that we are supposed to, in the world's eyes, not forgive, we are to forgive. And so the Lord just began to work on me and say, this church needs to be about my kingdom. And so that's how we got Kingdom Church. And our vision is to know Jesus, hear his voice, and follow him. And I, want, I just want to read a few verses. These are some verses where I believe the Lord gave us our vision. John 5 verse 19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. John 12, 49, for I have not spoken, this is Jesus talking, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So we see that when Jesus came to this planet, he didn't do anything or say anything unless you first saw the Father do it or the Father say it. And so I, we believe here at Kingdom Church that we should also be about our Father's business and we shouldn't do anything of our own ideas, of our own will, but we too should seek the Father's voice and see what he is saying. And I, I know that uh, this has been a challenge for me. I, I've grown up in church and know that God can speak, but God has really challenged me. And I know as y'all have been attending and as the Lord has been speaking to you, I know that you too have been challenged to hear God's voice. And so this is what we're about. We want to know his voice in every situation. Because how many of you know, if you know that God is speaking something to you specifically, how confident can you be about making that decision or making that next step? You can be very confident and you don't have to worry about the consequences of it. And so I believe that this is what we are called to do in the Permian Basin. Our vision is for every person in this area to know Jesus, to come into a relationship with him, to hear his voice, be able to distinguish what he is saying, and to follow him. Amen? Amen. We have a saying around here, this is, this is kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning, is there is a place for everyone. There is a place for every person that comes through these doors and, and joins our church. And now, that's a, that's a cute saying, right? Oh, there's a place for everyone. Now, that's good advertisement. But we don't just say that. We believe that this phrase here is 
founded on the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how all of us are members of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have been living for the Lord for 20 plus years, more than that, or if you are just going to give your life to the Lord today for the first time, there is a place for you. And your place is as important as anyone else's place. You know, I'm up here on the platform, and I've been uh, leading this church for the past eight months, but uh, my position is no more important than your position. My position may carry a little bit more uh, authority or responsibility, but in the end, God sees each person as important. The reason why we can say that there's a place for everyone is because that is true in God's eyes. We are all part of one body of Christ, and we are called uh, to reach the world for him. So there's a place for everyone. And, you know, when, whenever that, that phrase just kind of came to me, I was, I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. That's ingenious. Good job, Josh. Man, that's, that's, that's good. We're that, that one's going to go far. But the next thought I had was, hey, if there is a place for everybody, then i got to make sure there is, that everyone does find their place. And that was kind of overwhelming. I'm like, Lord, like, I want to say this, but I want to mean it. And so we're in the process of developing a class called Next Steps. I just want to throw this out here. And this uh, class is going to kind of be like our membership class, but it's going to help all of us find out what our next steps are, not just at Kingdom Church, but in the body of Christ. So we're going to have classes. We're going to have uh, um, um, classes that talk about what we believe. We're going to take, I I went to Richmond, Virginia a couple weeks ago and they're telling me about the, how in their uh, next steps class, they have three tests they take. It's like a personality test. It's a spiritual gifts test. Uh, they have several tests that come together. And we're going to be doing something like this likewise, uh, also because we want everybody that comes into our, into our church to find their place because there is a place for everyone. Amen? Amen. So there, we don't just say that this is, there is a place because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I just want to just, before we get in, I have a couple of things we're going to talk about today. But why did Jesus come to die on the cross for us? I know that's why we're here. Uh, uh, Easter is known as the Super Bowl of Sunday services because this is the one service that, um, uh, you know, you may not go to church, you know, the day of the year, but you come on, on, on Easter and that's great. We're happy you're here. And we're here because Jesus died. But why did he go to the cross? Why did he go to the cross? And I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he was saying, you know, many people say that uh, the Jews put Jesus on the cross. Right? You heard that? And there's a lot of anti-Semitism that has happened throughout the years because many people have pinned the death of Jesus on the Jews. Some people say that the Romans put him on the cross. Right? Some people say that, uh, that the, oh yeah, if the Roman government hadn't been in, in, involved, then Jesus wouldn't have died. And some people say, well, our sins put him on the cross. How many of y'all would agree with that? Our sins put them on the cross. Nobody's going to raise their hand because nobody, nobody's going to raise their hand to anything. I don't know. I'm not going to raise my hand. Yes, the, the, our sins are the reason he went to the cross. But you know why he went to the cross? You know who put Jesus on the cross? He put himself on the cross. This is one of the great mysteries in the Bible. Romans 5 verse 8. One of, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. But God shows his love for us. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is amazing. While we were still living in our own way, in our own sin, Jesus came to the cross. The the next verse in verse 10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That is a great love. Last week, we had a night of prayer, and I just want to share this revelation. Some of y'all were there, and 
uh, me and a few other people were in a, in a circle praying, and we were just praying for one another. But the Lord gave me a revelation of his love, and I hope it's something that you can remember. We were, we were standing in a circle, and we were praying for one another, and we were praying for uh, the coming week and Easter and this weekend and all these things. Well, all of a sudden, I was, I was just standing, we were praying, I was standing, and then I just feel like the Lord began to reveal some things to me. To, to me. And the idea of God being a friend just came into my mind. And I just began to describe God as a friend. And after a while, I, I, saw, I saw his face. And his face, and in his face, I saw that he was happy to see me. You see, we don't serve a God in heaven who is just looking down to see how he can get onto us or how he can smack us across the head or make something bad happen to us. God is happy to see you. And that began to wreck me. And I began to realize, he began to reveal himself to me as my best friend. And I remember I, 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 saw, I saw him. I saw a man that looked like me, honestly, a little taller. He was a little bit smarter. He was a little bit wiser. He was a little bit better looking. He was a little bit, he was a little bit more wittier. In, in reality, he was a little bit more of everything than me. And I, I realized as I was seeing this that he was revealing himself to me that way so that I could relate to him. Because so many of us think that we can't relate to God. We think he's so much better. He, why, would he want, why would he want me? And we think these things. But God revealed himself to me as my best friend. And this is the thing that really got me. I realized that he was my friend, that all he wanted to do was to be around me. That changed me. That changed me. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it, but I broke down and I realized I'm not chasing God. God is chasing me. I think we could end the service right there. God is, God is chasing you. And when you come to him, he is happy to see you. I, just, I remember seeing the expression on his face and it's like somebody that I hadn't seen in forever. And they were just so glad to be with me. That is our God. That is the love that put Jesus on the cross. That's the love that he had for us that let him to go to the cross, go down Calvary, down the cross for our sins and raise again. That is our God. Amen. We can stop right there. Amen. Good for stopping. We can go do the Easter egg hunt. The title of today's message is He Has Risen. He Has Risen. And I have a couple of points. I actually have a specific burden um, that, that kind of stirred up this message. And I'm going to share it at the end. But I want to share just a few things that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross accomplished. A couple of things that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross accomplished. So I have actually six points. And this is the first one. His sacrifice paid the price for our sins. This is, this is if we, again, we get to end after this point. If we get nothing else from this morning, what Jesus did on the cross over 2,000 year, years ago paid the penalty for our sin. Why did Jesus have to come? It's because a long time ago, a man named Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden. And because the serpent deceived them, they sinned. And as a result, were separated from God, a relationship with God until Jesus came. And Jesus came to put that back together. I want to read a verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. This is talking about Jesus paying the price for our sins. Verse 5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. 
in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. He said, he's saying, God is saying, because God instituted the sac- this sacrificial system in the Old Testament under Moses. And, an, and until Jesus came, the Jews and every person who lived had to sacrifice animals day after day, week after week, year after year to cover their sins. But those sacrifices didn't take away sins. They just simply covered them. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, God, you did not, you in reality, you just put that, instituted that just to cover sins. In reality, you, it's not, that's not what you really wanted. Verse 7, he said, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jump down to verse 9, the second half of verse 9. It says, He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the first, the first covenant to establish a better covenant. And by that will he have been, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see, in the Old Testament, these priests had to offer sacrifices every day. And, that, and how that works is we, before we came to God, and sometimes even though we come to God, we still have this mentality, God, I still have to do things to gain your approval, to gain your favor, to gain your attention, to gain your forgiveness. But the Bible says that when Jesus came on the scene, he once and for all paid the penalty for our sins so that we no longer have to work to get in God's presence. I don't know about you, but that should free somebody this morning that you don't have to do anything to get in God's presence. All you have to do is trust that Jesus paid the penalty for every sin, for every work, for every good thing that you have to do once and for all. Once and for all. 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. You see, we went through a series on rest a couple about a month ago. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, he is also inviting us to sit down and rest. And we don't have to work anymore. Lisa Bavira said, Jesus didn't just take our place, he gave us his. You see, Jesus died on the cross in our place. We deserve to be on the cross. But you know what God did? God gave Jesus what we deserved, the cross, and he gave us what Jesus deserved. I don't know if you got that. I'm going to say that one more time. God gave Jesus what we deserved, the cross. We deserved to hang on that cross. But instead, Jesus took that place and God gave us what Jesus deserved, eternal life. A, whole, a wholesome relationship with him. He did that for us. That's powerful. Number two, his sacrifice made peace between God and us possible. Did you know that Jesus, I'm going to just say this again. Did you know Jesus is in heaven looking down at you, smiling? Because of what Jesus did, we can have an open, honest relationship with him. I want to keep going. Verse, uh, point number three, his sacrifice made grace possible. You know what grace is? This is my definition of grace. Grace is what you need to do, what you need to do what? Okay, I'm wrote wrong. Grace is what you need to do what God is asking you to do. That's what grace is. So if God is asking you to do something difficult, like sometimes we have to forgive people, right? We have to forgive people that have hurt us and we're like, God, I just can't forgive that person. Hey, that person hurt me too, too much. They've hurt me too long. I can't do, do that. What God, what God does is when we pray to him and ask him 
for grace and help. He says, I'm going to give you what you need to do what I'm asking you to do. So when Jesus died on the cross, look at Romans 5 verse 2. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, by faith, have access into his grace. And I would just ask you this morning, what do you need grace for? What do you need grace for? Do you need grace to forgive somebody? Do you need grace to trust the Lord with your family? Do you need grace to trust the Lord with your finances? Do you need grace to trust God that he's going to be with you no matter what? There is grace here this morning. Point number four. Going fast because I want to focus on the last one. His sacrifice took away our shame. This is powerful. You know, Jesus died on the cross. The cross was actually... uh, a, a instrument of death that the Romans used to uh, put criminals to death. And it was a horrible, it was a, a horrible tool. Probably uh, the most gruesome uh, instrument of death that has ever existed. Uh, what, what it, and I didn't, I didn't really prepare for this, but one of, the, one of the things that the cross did is it suffocated you to death. You would be hanging on the cross and you would only have, you would have to pull yourself up to breathe. And after hanging on there for so long, you get tired and then you just, you wouldn't be able to pull yourself up anymore. And, and then eventually, if you weren't dying fast enough, they would break your legs so that you couldn't, you couldn't come up and you would, you would uh, um, quit breathing faster. And that's horrible, right? But I think as great or greater than that is the shame that someone endured when they were on the cross. Because, you know, we always see Jesus hanging on the cross with something around his waist, but during that time, someone who was crucified was on the cross naked. So imagine being on the cross completely naked between the Romans, uh, in front of the Roman soldiers, in front of your family, friends, and you're struggling to live while you're looking like that. There was an immense amount of shame that Jesus had to confront when he was on the cross. But this is, this is interesting. I want you to look at Hebrews 12. We're going to look at Jesus' response to the shame. And it's going to teach us how we can, uh, uh, how we can uh, conquer shame. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, because we, have, because we have so many people who have gone before us and are living this Christian life, let's throw off everything that hinders us and let's run this race strong. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the next word? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what despise means? Just a simple definition. Despise means to regard with contempt, distaste, disgust. Jesus despised the shame. You know what that means? It means that Jesus considered the shame disgusting, powerless, hollow, of no authority, of no effect on him. How was he able to do that? Look at the, look at the, the phrase right before despising. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know how Jesus was able to despise the shame? And, and basically, when he was on the cross, he said, I'm not going to let this shame affect me. Because I know that in three days, my father is going to raise me from the dead. And, and my, my death on the cross will be vindicated. And this shame will just be a memory in my past. See, church, 
Jesus died so that we, would, we don't have to have shame anymore. When you, rec- when you re- realize and recognize what God has done on the cross and the things that await you, the things that, the things that you did in your past don't mean anything anymore. They have no power. And we have a lot of people and a lot of Christians, unfortunately, who are living in shame. Like, God, who would want me? I did this, I did that. I, can't be- I know I did that when I was young, but I'm still feeling the shame. God's power, what he did on the cross, conquered all shame. He despised the shame so that we too could conquer shame. That's powerful. It's powerful. And I believe that there are some people who are going to leave here today. I know you're struggling with shame. I, I struggle with shame on certain things that have happened to me growing up. But by God's grace, I'm overcoming it and continuing to overcome it. His sacrifice conquered shame. And we can conquer it too. Number five, his sacrifice set the standard for how we are supposed to live. You see, you see him on the cross? At some point or another, we're going to have to get on a cross. We talked about last week preparing for Jesus. And we talked about how uh, last Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday today is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus rode into, into Jerusalem. And we learned that we can welcome Jesus into our lives when we, when we praise and worship him. The people, and just, just to recap for those of us who weren't here the people who shouted Hosanna, the people who were waving palm branches, those who laid their palm branches on the ground, they literally ushered in the Messiah into their hometown. And I believe that if they hadn't done that, he wouldn't have come in. The same way that Jesus entered Jerusalem, the same way he'll enter our life. And so we learned that we can access God's presence when we understand that we praise and worship him. But we have to remember this. A cross will always follow his presence. Always follows. Yes, we can, yes, we can uh, have access to God's presence and access to joy and peace. But if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to allow him to come into our life, we have to continue following him to the end. And the end is a cross. We talked about this uh, at our Good, uh, good Friday at our Good Friday. Um, uh, service that we had for our volunteers. And I just want to read this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 21 through 24. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And the reason it's one of my favorite because it shows me that I too have to follow in Jesus' footsteps of carrying my cross. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse 21. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. Listen to this. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Do you realize when Jesus was being whipped, whenever he was being flogged, whenever he was being put on a cross, whenever he was, they were calling him names and they're spitting in his face, do you know he had the right to retaliate? We know that, right? He had the right, but the word of God says, when he was insulted, whenever he was threatened, he did not threaten revenge. It says he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. You see, if Jesus had retaliated, if he had called down the legions of angels like he said that he could, he would have never gone to the cross. And if he would have never went to the cross, then we wouldn't be here today. We'd be dead in our sins and lost forever. You see, there are going to be moments in our life when we are talked about, 
we're hurt, fired, let go unjustly, unfairly. And we're going to have to keep our mouth shut and carry our cross. Why? Because there are people who are watching our example. You see, Jesus didn't say anything and he saved the whole world. Some of us are going to have to suffer unfair treatment so that maybe someone in our family may be saved. So maybe one of our coworkers may be saved. We follow his example. And church, we can be sure when we follow his example, we will get his results. His sacrifice Amen, you can clap. His sacrifice set the standard for how we are supposed to live. And this is my last point. His sacrifice conquered the fear of death. There's a verse I'm going to get to, but this idea of fear was really resonating with me the last couple weeks. And I, I was going through some things personally, and the Lord just brought this fear to my mind. And actually, I believe the fear of death is the father of all fear. Because I know there's, there's other big fears. We, we talk about this a lot, but there are four main needs that every person has. We have the need to be accepted. We have the need of identity to know who we are. We have the need to know that we're secure, security. And we have the need to know that, we have a, that there's a plan for our life. And all those are fears. And I believe that when some of those needs aren't met, People in their life because they don't feel like they have a purpose. They don't know who they are. They don't know that they're going to be okay. But ultimately, the fear that I believe that when you at least when you're alive, you can make some of those things right. But when you die, you die, and there's no chance. I believe the fear of death is the greatest fear that Jesus conquered. How has he conquered it? Very simply, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, you too will rise from the dead. The resurrection is the most important, important event in history. It's the most important event. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, we are still in our sins and we won't rise from the dead one day. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. This is Paul talking. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be, all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection. They said if, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then, then we're actually lying to you that Jesus rose from the dead because it's not possible for him to, to rise up. Verse 16, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. See, if Jesus didn't arise from the dead, this is actually the church is built on this cornerstone. Because Jesus prophesied about three or four times before he died, he would tell his disciples, hey, the Son of Man is going is to be killed, but don't worry, in three days he's going to rise from the dead. He told the apostles time and time again because he wanted to prepare them. Because they had seen Jesus done so many miracles and, uh, and, and healed so many people. But he had to tell them several times, hey, when it happens, be ready. You know what happened when he died? They ran away. Even though he had told them that he was going to rise from the dead. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Jesus is a liar. And it doesn't matter what I'm saying here today, it holds no weight. There's no, there's no hope for peace, no hope for joy. There's no hope. There's nothing. The resurrection hinges on this. And because of that, many people have tried to disprove 
there's a resurrection. And there, these are just a few. I just want you to be aware of. Some people say that, that Jesus didn't die. And I, I was listening to uh, some commentary the other day. He said, they said the Roman soldiers were uh, expert killers. Because if the people that they were instructed to crucify and kill didn't die, then they would die. We know that Jesus uh, rose from the dead because there are witnesses. He, uh, a group of women, Mary Magdalene and other women saw him. All the disciples saw him and over 500 witnesses. And just in case you're wondering, are those reliable? Because we know the Bible was written, uh, the, uh, Jesus' life was recorded, you know, several years after Jesus actually died and raised. I was studying and, and, some, of the, and some of the testimony of counts that, that we use to prove that Jesus raised from the dead would be, would be viable in a court of law today. I was, I was reading that because there were some eyewitness accounts. They didn't write their testimony until like 20 or 30 years afterwards. And they were saying a, an eyewitness account in a court of law today would still, would still be, val be valuable in proving a case uh, for a case or against a case. And on top of that, there is the transformation of the disciples. You see, the disciples, we know that they follow Jesus. And, and, from, and from research, we know that the disciples were teenagers. They were no older than their early 20s, late teenage. They were, they, were, they were late in their teens. The resurrection caused Peter, who denied Jesus three times, to a servant girl. And I mentioned this on Sunday. Denying Jesus before a servant girl was like denying Jesus before a baby. Women did not have the same rights that men had and how much less a little girl. Jesus was that much of a coward that he denied Jesus three times. And then it says, after he died, they went into the, the place where they were staying and they locked the doors. They were cowards. But you see, when Jesus appeared, it changed everything. It took every fear out of their body. This is the power of the resurrection, church. It took a group of cowards who were uh, scared of every person, including little girls, and caused them to proclaim the good news of the gospel throughout the whole world. I heard, I heard somebody say, people, people may, lie, may lie about things, but they won't lie to the death about something they know isn't true. We can know for sure, church, that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he conquers every fear. Because he has risen, you too will rise. I truly believe that if we understand this point, there's nothing we will fear. About five years ago, uh, I was, I was um, going through some things, and the Lord, once and for all, took fear out of my life and worry. And I, I remember preaching a sermon. I said, I don't worry anymore. Why do I not worry anymore? Because I know that if I die, if I live a life that doesn't, that doesn't seem like it's, it's full of peace or joy or anything that everyone else that we like to experience. I know that one day I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to live in eternity. And it doesn't matter what happened on this earth. It's going to seem just like a moment in time. You see, I believe, I believe that when we don't think about the resurrection, when we don't focus on Jesus and the resurrection, then we think, then we remember less that we're too going to rise from the dead one day. And if we don't, and if we don't remember, and the less we remember that one day we will rise, the more we will fear the things in this life. It's very easy. I, I'm, and I said this last week, but I'm amazed at 
as long as I've been living for the Lord, how quickly I can fear the little things. I can fear the small things that I, that I feared when I was first really serving the Lord. This is why it is extremely important that we focus on the resurrection. Because if we focus on Jesus and keep our mind on what he did on the cross, then, we'll, then, we, too, then we too will remember that we will rise. And if we focus on that we will rise, then what does it matter what's going on in this world? What does it matter? The resurrection is the most important event in history. And I want to end with this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a statement at the end, and I can invite the worship team to come on up. There's a statement at the end that I want, that I want to, to really push. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Verse 54, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? You see church, through the resurrected body of Jesus, we can say death, where is your victory? Death, we can mock death to its face and say death, where is your sting? I don't feel it. We can say anxiety, where is your sting? Anxiety, where is your victory? We can say, hopelessness, where is your sting? I don't feel it. You see, the resurrection has conquered the fear of death. And because it has conquered the fear of death, it has conquered every other fear that we can feel. We serve a resurrected king. And I believe that all of us in here today, God has called us in here to experience and get a new revelation understanding of the resurrected king. We can mock death. Man, this is powerful. We as believers, that thing that you're going through, that anxiety, that depression, you have the power to look it in the face and say, you have no power because I serve a resurrected king. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? It carries no more power. I would like for every person just to stand. And I know this is kind of a, we're ending this kind of powerfully, but I believe that God wants all of us to be set free this morning. He wants all of us to be able to, to say that thing that we're dealing with in our life, where is your sting? Where is your victory? I don't see it. Like Jesus on the, on the cross, he despised the shame. The, another word says he scorned it. He looked down on it. He looked at the shame with disgust and said, you have no power over me. I know I'm a standing, I know I'm here on the cross hanging and I'm naked. And the world will tell me, you need to be ashamed. Look at every, everyone's looking at you and being naked before a, a, a Jewish crowd was, was, the, was the most shameful thing that one could experience. But he looked down on it and said, you have no power over me. So what are you dealing with this morning? Are you dealing with hopelessness? Are you dealing with anxiety? Are you dealing with depression? Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he rose from the dead, we can look that thing in the eye and say, no, no more. You have lost its power over me and we can mock it. It's a powerful thing that Jesus did. And I know that many of us are going through things because I've gone through some of the same things. I don't know what it is. I know what it is to be ashamed. As many of y'all know, I, was, I went through a divorce and I was ashamed, ashamed. So much so I didn't go to church and y'all that know me, 
Not many things keep me from church. I was ashamed and Jesus came and spoke to me and he revealed to me who I was. He says, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm telling you who you are right now. You're my son and I love you. And, it, and, it, and what you do doesn't affect who I see you to be. You are my son because of what Jesus did on the cross. I see you through my son. Jesus wants to take away everything that is keeping you from him, everything that is keeping you from an overcoming life. We can say death, anxiety, depression, hopelessness, fear. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? I don't see it. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move this morning. I don't know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is highlighting that area in your life where you're struggling and there is something that has victory over you right now. But Jesus is wanting to tell you this morning, I'm alive. The strongest thing that could happen in the universe, death, I overcame. If I can overcome death, you can overcome death and you can overcome every other fear that you're facing. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good and you're faithful. The Lord is knocking. In Revelation 3, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Don't reject him. Don't reject him. This is the day of salvation. This is the day that we let him in. We let him clean his house and make us new. God is for you, church. If this is your first time, God is for you. He's not against you. He sees where you're at. And he says, I still love you. I didn't go to the cross because I had to. No one twisted my arm. No one forced me. I went because I saw you. And I loved you. And I want to be around you. I want to be your friend. I want to always be with you. I never want to leave you. What Jesus did on the cross accomplished that for each of us. And this is something we do here at Kingdom Church, but I just want to invite you. If you've never given your life to the Lord, and maybe you have, and this is you need to recommit your life to the Lord. If you're in either of those categories, I would love for you just to raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Jesus has something for you this morning. That you just raise your hand proudly. Say, Jesus, I need you. I gave my life to you last week, month ago, years ago, but I need to give my life to you again today. Jesus, we just surrender to you right now. We surrender to your will and to your way. There is no one like you. If you're in either of those categories, or church, if you would just join us, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of all of my sins. The things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I've done that are evil in your sight. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. I confess you as Lord and Savior this morning. In Jesus' name. And let's just begin to thank him for, for doing that. If you.